Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to a very special session of the Lovecraft Tapes. I am Jeremy, your keeper of arcane lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a sci-fi horror role-playing game based upon the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. Your investigators of the unknown are... Brian Johnson as Detective Frank Brebin. Dear Diary, Day 42. Matt Zielish as Detective Burton Briggs. Here to ponder life's great mysteries. Do I go by Bert or Burton? And special guest Chris Parker as Detective Audrey Davis. I'm so happy to be working with you guys. Nice. Well, welcome, players. How is everyone doing this fine Sunday? Very excited. Staying hydrated. Very socially isolated. Thank you for joining us, and hopefully we'll have a little bit of horrific fun today. Yay! And we uh, thank Gehenna Gaming for hosting this and for doing the virtual horror con so that we can play, but also donate for a very good cause to fight COVID-19. Absolutely. Now, dear investigators, we begin the strange case of Lewis Cipher. In the far-flung futuristic world of 2020, the streets of Detroit, Michigan are mean. They pick on you all the time. Call you names like Duty Face McGee and Master Blaster Underpants? None of those names make any sense, but they still sting. For a cop, sometimes you got to be meaner than the streets. Even if you're a nice person on the inside who likes to scroll through Instagrams of kittens during your lunch hour, so you just pretend to be tough, making scowly faces while taking no guff, just talking gruff and saying mean stuff. You know, stuff meanies say, like, did your mom dress you in those bell-bottom jeans, or did you just forget to do laundry last week? (laughs) Ha ha, got him. Yeah, being mean is the only way to get ahead in this police department. You have a sneaking suspicion tonight might just be your chance to get out of the detective biz and start enjoying the sweet life of a desk sergeant. You got the call from Lieutenant Atkins about an hour ago, telling you to get your ass over to Cypher Mansion on the other side of town. It's late when a rookie cop picks you up in a squad car outside the precinct. But when you jump inside, you realize you're not the only one hitching a ride to this particular crime scene. Investigators, for the edification of our listeners, please state your character's name, give us a physical description, and then share some interesting backstory about your detective and their personal motivations. And we're going to start tonight with Chris. Detective Audrey Davis is uh, 34, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. She has tanned olive skin with a, kind of a chin length, dark brown. So it goes, it's darker at the, at the roots, lighter at the at the tips, kind of wavy, warm, uh, wavy hair, warm smile, average height and she's always well dressed and kind of like business casual she's very goal and business oriented and talks a lot in like kind of customer service voice or like uses uh like the hr manual as like her vocabulary so she kind of grinds people's gears but she's not a jerk about it her uh, immediate report above her told her to loosen up so she had to take a semester of uh, improv class at university of michigan all right well thank you very much chris for that and we'll uh, look forward to hearing more about audrey in a minute and matthew tell us about bert or burton burton is about six feet tall he's a 
decent medium build. He has very shaggy, unkempt hair, and his beard and mustache are there just because he keeps forgetting to shave. Fair skin, he was born and raised down in Houston and just recently moved up here to Detroit to be closer to his family. He rejoined at the police department because uh, he's a good guy. He he likes helping people. He figured this would be a good way to do it, even though he, he might be a little absent-minded here and there, and he sometimes forgets what he's doing or, you know, that he's holding a pencil in the middle of writing a sentence. But, you know, it's... He's really just here to, to help other people and to have a good time. And uh, Bri, how about you? I am Frank Brebin. Uh, dirty blonde hair, broad shoulders, baby face, though. So people don't take him seriously sometimes. Does have a short fuse. Really likes to work alone. He's always ready to prove himself, but he's never good enough in his own mind. Even though he's received commendations and awards, he's always out to prove himself. Born and raised in Detroit, of course. En route to meet the lieutenant, the patter of light rain on the windshield becomes unbearable white noise. You've got a leisurely ride before arriving at Cypher Mansion, so it might be wise to spend that time getting to know your fellow detectives. Oh, uh, wasn't expecting to be with other people on this. Uh, I'm Burton Briggs. Nice to meet you. And I'm going to cross my arms and reach a hand out to either one of them on either side of me. That's okay. And I'm going to kind of push the, the hand away. That's, we, we don't need it. It's kind of crowded. I'm just going to look over at him, Brebin, and turn back and look out the window. Your mother give you a first name, Brebin. Brebin, Brebin. Oh, I thought he was clearing his throat. Well, Brebin, Brebin. <laughs> The band's so nice, we named him twice. Uh, either you happen to know what we're doing tonight, and all I got was some sort of weird message about some mansion thing. If you're patient, I'm sure we'll find out when we get there. Audrey's just going to be kind of scrolling on her phone, just casually listening to the conversation, but she's going to, instead of talking to these two, she's going to just ask the driver, how, how far away is this again? Well, I think it's just like about 30 minutes. So you get about 30 minutes to fill. Where did they find you? We found them under the overpass. I'm from Tennessee originally. You don't say. Well, is my accent sound that way? Sounds some way. I mean, I'm a native Detroiter. Uh-oh. I was born on Griswold right in the middle of the intersection. <laughs> now we're in trouble. Clearly, the chief has sent us our best driver. Oh, not the chief. It was Lieutenant. Lieutenant Atkins. You don't want to piss him off. No, we don't. That's the right answer. He's got a mean streak of a mile wide. Look at the bones. <laughs> Are we there yet? So what what do you guys think we're getting into that it takes three of us? Well, we're probably getting out of the car first. Unless it's in a car wash. What about you, Briggs? They just gave me a call and the car showed up and... You know what we're doing here? I mean, they said something about some sort of mansion thing. I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine uh, too many crimes with mansions going on at this time of day. The witching hour. Cypher Mansion is uh, pretty well known. It's uh, located near the lakeshore. It's in a very nice neighborhood, obviously. It's a mansion. I mean, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> it's near the trailer parks. <laughs> it's a really weird mansion. So you think that the city's laid out in different home styles, is what you're saying. You know, the mansion district. Come on. We gotta go through the trailer park district to get to the mansion district. It's a mansion of many mobile homes put together. You have to go through the hobo district, which has a mansion made out of several refrigerator cardboard boxes, which is very nice. Well, if it's a nice neighborhood, odds are they want to keep this quiet yeah that would make sense this isn't actually going to take 30 minute drive minute for minute right oh yeah <laughs> we're doing this sucker in real time oh, boys we're in trouble getting to know you <laughs> we got like another 27 minutes let's go can we ask the driver to put some music on oh sure i got my some dueling banjos that okay sure Sounds great to me and he, he turns it low so he can hear your conversation <laughs> of course he does he's leaning back huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's just 
turning to look at us. Staring us down as he drives down the road. Well, at least this is uh, not the worst Uber I've been in. I don't know. Seems kind of far out of our jurisdiction to be calling in cops from Detroit. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, no, it's still Detroit. (laughs) You might not know since you're from Houston. This is all Detroit. Look at the buildings. Oh, yes. Now I see. We've passed Griswold three times now. (laughs) (laughs) The mansion district doesn't begin until Griswold ends. And Griswold never ends. Not for another 25 minutes. And we're there. Let's do the time warp. Again? So, Mr. Brabin, uh, I heard about that case that you solved last week. What was the tip-off? It was it was a little more difficult than I thought it would be. But once I got the ladder up against the tree, I, the cat was easy to get down. You're practically an acrobat. Well, the freaky part was the four eyes that it had. But I'm sure the scientists will figure that out. What, your cat was wearing glasses? Oh, that's what it was. Damn it. I guess I didn't need to bag him and tag him then. He's dead? No, 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 no. Oh, he's in a box. We don't know if he's dead or alive. No, he's at a farm. He's at a nice farm upstate, you know, in Detroit. The farming district of Detroit, yes. Detroit, known for its agrarian exports. Well, I, I guess that's why Lieutenant is considering you for that sergeant position. That's right. So I get it done. Oh, I didn't know there were others in consideration for that. There aren't. Just me. There's a position open? No. Oh. Well, yes, did you hear uh, Mr. Burden uh, Briggs? Uh, yeah, there, there's a position open. Well, what's his name? Is is, is retiring next month. Oh, man, I'm going to miss Sergeant What's-His-Name. Uh, uh, he's the best. Uh, got a weird name, but... Uh, you can't blame him for that. That's just n- none of his fault. It's all What's-His-Name. We'll come up later in the story. That's a long mouthful for a last name. What's a long mouthful? <laughs> like for a horse saying something complicated. Hi, I'm Detective What's-His-Name, who I can't find by scrolling through this document, but will come up later in the story. It's amazing that you can remember that i believe we just drove by the cypher mansion we're just looping in the driveway i got my gums flapping and now i missed the turnoff now it's gonna take an extra 35 minutes look kids griswold so either you have any idea what we're doing i mean the mansion thing is all i heard hey briggs what precinct you from 17th 16th and 15th i kind of go wherever they need me to i'm i'm you know i'm good like that oh so you're like in it yeah Pretty much. Well, I'm from the 11th. Oh, the prestigious 11th. Yeah, that's right. Is that the one that visits schools? It's nothing compared to, uh, you know, District 3 that you're from, Davis. No, it's not. I hear 3 is a pretty great district to be in. I I, I enjoy 3 and 3 enjoys me. Uh, always good to know that someone enjoys their work, you know. They say if you love what you do, then you never actually work a day in your life. And if you don't have work, what good are you? That's, that's what my dad always said. What was your last case, Briggs? I was back at the precinct and someone took the carafe out of the coffee maker and didn't put it back. What about you, Davis? I took the carafe. Mystery solved. <laughs> I caught your criminal, Briggs. I'm still the best. <laughs> Brevin, you're still the best. You're always getting them. Will you pay attention to the road? Oh, shit. My last case was a was a robbery. Of Creamer? Someone steal your carafe, too? <laughs> no, somebody stole a, uh, a, a truck full of... Creamer. I'll say uh, consumer goods. You'll say it. Just don't spray it. We found the truck at a at a warehouse. It took a few days to get a lead on who did it. But once we found the truck, there was plenty of evidence in the truck that pointed us to our perps and we got them. Nice. Did they give you this award? And I show her one of my awards. <laughs> you just have it laminated like in your pocket. Yes. He just opens up his coat and you just see awards pinned all over. I open up the camera roll and show a picture of me with uh, the mayor and just go, huh, yeah. I open my wallet and they all fold out all of the commendations and awards that I have. Oh, so isn't this where your family's supposed to go? I don't need a family. 
Oh. See this here? This is from a tiger shark off the car. Oh, we're not doing that scene? Oh. Drive the car. Oh, you like taking pictures too and pull out a full-size DSLR camera. Where was he storing that? Where'd that come from, mister? Every time the driver speaks, he's got to pull over to do so. So it's taken twice as long to get there. So we got another like 40 minutes in real time. Let's go. Guys. <laughs> also, are, are we all sitting in the back seat together? Or yes. someone in the That's front? what I heard. Yeah. I got back seat middle on the hump because I called it. The nighttime cityscape parades past your window. A depressing row of abandoned houses whose yards are choked with weeds, followed by a strip of drinking establishments and gentlemen's clubs, which leads inevitably to the business district. And that, in turn, dissolves into upscale neighborhoods of softly lit two-stories, wherein the privileged dream dreams of new cars with leather interiors, Sunday brunch mimosas, and Banana Republic khakis. As conversation dies down inside the squad car, the vehicle pulls up to an ornate gate emblazoned with a stylized letter C in the center. The rookie grabs the car radio and mumbles something into it. Moments later, the gate swings open soundlessly, and you move forward. The mansion looms as you approach. It is more like a castle, all field stone and crenellated battlements prepared for a war that will never come. Red and blue police lights illuminate the expansive facade. There are at least six other squad cars, although, as you park, some prepare to leave. Lieutenant Atkins stands like a golem in the entry, his familiar silhouette both comforting and intimidating. He's chewing an unlit cigar in one corner of his mouth, grinning as he watches you pile out of the vehicle. Well, 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 if it isn't Huey, Dewey, and Louie. You been telling each other duck tails in the back of that Uber? That was an Uber? Did you guys pay? I didn't even tip him. One star. Worst Uber. I just walk up. What do we got? Ah, I like that. Brab and get right to the point. I already did. All right, all right. Follow me. The lieutenant commands and whirls on his heel. He prattles constantly as he leads you inside, not allowing for any interruption in the flow of his narration. You ever been in here? <laughs> no, what am I saying? Of course you've never been here. This is how the big weeks live. The cream of the crop. The powers that be, those who work behind the scenes to make sure our paychecks don't bounce. The richy riches of the world, if you will. You ever see a staircase so grand? Me neither. Looks like something out of that Titanic movie. And how about this art? Whoo boy, I bet somebody paid a pretty penny for that crooked lady face over there by the fireplace. Ten bucks says those two vases on that end table are worth more than my 401k, even if they are ugly as sin. Peek in there. That's a bathroom, believe it or not. Imagine, a shitter with the same square footage as my living room. What a life these people lead. Closets the size of New York City pizzerias. Bedrooms bigger than ballrooms. If you ever got lost, you'd need GPS to find your way back. Finally, you arrive at a bronze door with a strange keyhole at the center, in the shape of a pentagram. The portal is open just a crack, and a sliver of light stabs out from within. Gird your loins, detectives, the lieutenant says, smiling around his cigar. This one is juicy. He opens the door wide and ushers you inside. You enter a massive library. The chamber is easily 40 yards in any direction, with high-shelf bookcases ringing the perimeter on both the first and second floors. A winding staircase leads up to the next level, while directly overhead is a delicately crafted crystal dome which amplifies the moonlight outside. Several tables, overstuffed chairs, carts, and lamps furnish the space, while a crackling hearth dominates the far sitting area. Baubles, knickknacks, and pieces of art provide varied and distinguished decoration. 
A young patrol officer, her notebook flipped open and pen at the ready, appears to be questioning a tall, thin, older gentleman dressed in a butler's outfit. Slumped over a stout wooden desk, squatting in the center of the spacious room is a man. Coagulated blood pooled beneath his head. The lieutenant waves his hand at the body. Meet the recently deceased Louis Edward Cipher III. Mr. Cipher, meet Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Don't get up on our account. Well, what are you waiting for, detectives? Detect! His phone rings and he walks a distance away from you to take the call. That's a body, all right. Hey, guys, there's a body right there. I couldn't see it for all the books. Thank you for pointing that out. Pull out my camera and walk over and start photographing the dead body where it is and just the immediate area around it. I'll uh, I'll walk up to the patrol officer and ask her what we know. What do you got written down there so far? Detective Davis, right? Oh. Yes, that's me. You can you can call me Audrey and I'll like shake my head. Nice to meet you. Oh, jeez. Would you excuse us a moment, uh, Mr. Haddish? And the tall, thin gentleman nods his head and sort of walks away towards one of the... Uh, End tables. Far away from you. I've been eyeballing the butler, and I'm going to make a beeline right for him. Buzzing the whole way. Eric the half a B. <laughs> yes, Detective Davis. Um, well, okay, so uh, uh, here's what I've got so far. Uh, let's see, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of nervous. Uh, it's okay, take your time. Well, thank, thank you, you're so kind, you're so kind. I just, I've, I've never been on a murder scene before. This is pretty thrilling. Let's keep it toned down a little bit and just focus on the facts. You're right, what, what would T.J. Hooker do? You're right, you're right. Okay, Um. and she flips over a couple pieces of paper and says, okay, I got here at 9.15. Lieutenant uh, was, was here, he was on the scene, he responded First, the body was discovered by this gentleman over here, Gil Haddish. He works for the deceased. Uh, that that is um, Lewis Cipher the third. Then uh, the uh, uh, Mr. Haddish, Mr. Haddish. Uh, that's that's H A D D I S H. I got it written down here. I had him spell it for me and everything. I figured you know details, details, details. He, he called the police uh, and and uh, and, and uh, yeah, uh, there was nobody else here. All the staff left after dinner, um, so they were the only two here in the mansion. That's all we've got so far. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, the coroner uh, was here uh, uh, earlier, uh, but he came and went real quick. I'm not sure why, but is he still here? Do you know? Uh, no, no. Uh, just just us. Uh, the lieutenant's been overseeing things, and um, you know we've got uh, patrol officers, but the, they're they're heading out. I think the lieutenant will has more information about the the corner. The corner. That's what I've got. And this is all from you talking with. Uh Mr. Haddish? Yes, that's he was the only witness, so I, I, if there were more people, I would you know, question them, because I, I like to be thorough. Well, you're, you're doing a, a great job, officer. Thank you, thank you. Um, what was your name again? I, I'm Maddie. Her name tag says M. Kurtzman. Okay, Miss Kurtzman. Thank you for your uh, service. Thank you, thank you. I... Yeah. I, you know, I'm not even sure why they call this. It's, it's kind of looks to me. I, you know, I'm, I'm studying to be a detective one day, but I mean, just looking at him, you can tell like probably had epilepsy or something. I and you're a doctor. No, no, I, my sister's brother's okay. cousin. Well, I'll, 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 I'll do some detecting. That's okay. But thank you. You're doing such a great job, and I'd love to to circle back with you later and maybe compare notes. I don't know if you know this, but I have a a, a fan page on Facebook for William Shatner. Okay, and I'm just going to walk it away. Let's move along to Burton Briggs, who is uh, photographing the body. Louis Edward Cipher III has probably seen better days. He was a handsome man in his early 60s, dark hair, gray at the temples, kind of the Doctor Strange type. His head rests on the desk, ringed by a shallow pool of blood that looks like it came out of his face holes. 
Some trickled out of his ears, most spurted from his nose and mouth, and though his blank eyes are stirring lifelessly, you can tell some plasma managed to leak out of his tear ducts as well. Whatever happened to him must have been painful because his body is contorted, bent forward as if he had lurched suddenly, violently slamming his head onto the wooden surface. It all looks quite garish, lit by the single green-shaded banker's lamp on one corner of the desk. Clearly this man has Ebola and we need to clear out now. Case solved. Call the CDC. Where's Dustin Hoffman? Where do you need him? Lean in and more carefully examine his face holes. Well, sir, why don't uh, you give me a spot hidden, please? Uh, I needed a 60. I rolled a 63. But since I have 70 points of luck, I'm just going to burn three off the bat to make that a success. Your first attempt was uh, less than revealing. So maybe you did something to push that luck? So I didn't really get anything at first, and then I, you know, looked over, and I saw that he had, you know, a pen that he was using just off to the side, so I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out a glove, and I grabbed the pen, and I kind of used it to poke around a bit, maybe lift him up a little bit, just tilt his head to the side to get a better view of what what was, you know, face down on the table. Yeah, you reached over, grabbed this pen, and sort of, like, tried to move his face, but his face is kind of stuck to the the surface of the desk because the the blood has, like, coagulated and sort of stuck it. So you hear this sort of, like, slight ripping sound. It's going to hold firm. You're probably going to need to bodily grab him and yank him back or move him in some fashion in order to get a better look at what's underneath the body. You did notice like a little crust of something in the corner of his mouth. This weird, clear, sticky residue. You push the pen into it and it's kind of like some ectoplasmic kind of goop is the best way you could describe it. It kind of reminds you of super glue if it never stiffened up. Coconut milk. That must be what he had for dinner. Why don't you go ahead and give me another, just D100 roll, please. 41. You're allergic to coconut milk. Brebin. So I'm crossing the room to meet the butler. He clasps his hands behind his back and stands at attention, watching you with, it almost looks like he's judging you a bit. He is very tall, gaunt, and pale. His bald head gleams. The skin is stretched so thin that the skull shows through. You can't quite place his age. He almost looks eternal. His eyes do glimmer deep within the sockets. He's just waiting for you to say something. Something. That's all it took. And he sings and dances. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to walk up to him, get a little uncomfortably close. How do you know Cypher? Well, sir, I have worked for the family for many years. Oh, my. Are you familiar with the term manservant? So you're a butler. (laughs) Hardly. Give me a description of your your job duties. (laughs) You said. Duties. (laughs) Duties. <laughs> hey, Duty. this is no laughing matter. Yes, of course. Your boss course. is dead. I, I do whatever the master requires. Whatever he requires? Whatever he requires. Um, give me an example. Well, for instance, this evening I brought him his customary glass of 30-year-old single malt Highland Park scotch, which, as Chris is Googling, is 1,200 a bottle. <laughs> Who's Chris? I Well, I don't know, sir. I couldn't answer that. Where were you tomorrow? Old joke, sir. Very good. So what happened here? What took place? Well, as per usual, after dinner, Mr. Cypher retired to the library at precisely 8 p.m. I had to look at the notes. <laughs> I apologize. And as is customary, Mr. Cypher ordered me to lock the library door. Okay. Only he and I possess keys 
There is no other means of entry. I'm giving you all this locked room mystery info. (laughs) I no longer have the key. It has been given to Mr. Atkins, your lieutenant. He requested it. After I called him. Where's the other key? uh, The other key, I assume, is in Mr. Cipher's possession still. I don't want you to move. You stay here. I shan't move. I am here. I said, don't move. Your mouth is moving. (laughs) Look him up and down and stare into his eyes for a second. That would be a psychology roll. I needed a 50. I rolled a 75. That's a full success in the fail aspect. Well, yes, sir. If if you require my assistance on any other details, I am only too happy to help. I just turn and walk away towards the body. Goodbye, Mr. Brebin. Bye. If that is your real name. (laughs) High five, sir. (laughs) So essentially, you guys all converge at the body, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. What took you so long? What do you got? Well, from what I've been taking photos of and digging at, it seems like whatever caused this, I have no idea what caused this. All I can tell you so far is that it looks like at the time of death, he was bleeding out of every single hole he had in his head. So every pore? Yeah. Also, there was some sort of strange clear residue in the corner of his mouth. Not quite sure what that was. I'm going to lean in and see if I can get a closer look at that residue. Uh, You can indeed see that there is some sort of clear, sticky residue in the corner of his mouth. Going to taste it. Mmm, it's coconut milk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm allergic, definitely allergic. It's coconut milk flavored super glue. I need that $800 EpiPen. Okay, so I'm going to look at the contents around where he's at at his desk and try to keep an eye for the key. I'm going to move around back of Mr. Cipher and pat him down to make sure he doesn't have anything in his pockets. While they're doing that, I'll uh, relay what I got from Officer Kurtzman. So it it sounds like we got the call a little bit before 9, and officers got on scene around 9.15. LT was the, uh, was the first responder and said that the body was discovered by the butler and the coroner was here but i don't know where he went to well that seems strange yeah coroner is usually the last to leave it sounded like they left in a hurry but nobody got a word in to see what the deal was with that i mean i have the guy's number if you want i can give it to you you can call him up yourself Sure. All right. I'm going to pull out my phone, dial the coroner, and hand it to Audrey. Okay. I'll look at his phone and reluctantly put it to my ear. Well, I mean, come on. It's 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 one of those Motorola Razor flip phones. That thing is sweet. What is this white, crusty stuff? <laughs> Coconut milk. Oh. Brevin is kind of peeking around, trying to figure out where would this guy keep a key. Probably in his pants pocket. That's where keys usually go. That'd be your best guess is that it's probably in his pants pocket. Burton Briggs is just patting around the guy. Guy's wearing like a dress coat kind of thing. A silk robe and nothing else. Almost like a smoking jacket. So it's velvet. I'm going to grab the fire extinguisher quick. It's black velvet. So, you know, if you got a, if you got a black light, it'd be awesome. There's like a picture of Elvis on the back. This thing looks like a Jackson Pollock. Oh. You find a pipe in the right hand pocket and a package of tobacco in the left-hand smoking jacket pocket. So was it Mr. Cipher in the library with the pipe? It was. He's dead. He killed himself with the pipe. Case closed. Let's go. It's lung cancer, guys. We did this. (laughs) Done. Smoking is the real killer here. And the phone picks up, and you hear a voicemail message. This is Carl Reiner with a K and a... A double R. I don't know. Is he, you know, Ziner, Carl Ziner. I'm on a case right now. So if you want to leave a message, uh, feel free. I'll try to get 
to you within 48 to 72 hours. Well, I guess he's on a case. Maybe that's this one. Probably not. But he needs to learn how to make a voicemail message. Thank you for letting me use whatever phone this is. And that's the message that was recorded. (laughs) God, this guy sucks. I hate him. Oh, shit. I think it's recording, guys. Delete. Delete. So Lieutenant Atkins suddenly snaps his fingers and points at his feet. Detectives, report. Find anything to wow me? I did find a little bit of information. There's only two keys to this library, and the door was locked. Yeah, I got one of them. Where's the other one? That's what we're looking for right now. If that key is missing, this is homicide. Well, where do you think it is, smart guy? One second, and I'm going to briskly walk back over to the body and check his pants pockets to see if the key is still inside one of those. What's this guy doing? Briggs, come on, this is no time to play pocket pool. His pockets are empty. Well, unless he took that key out and set it down somewhere else, it appears Mr. Cypher here is missing his key. Lieutenant, do we know where the coroner is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, He's going to be back in a couple hours to collect the stiff, all right? Uh, He's tied up with a gang shooting downtown, a bunch of dead bodies. You know the drill. They burned down the orphanage again. What else you got for him? Whatever killed him apparently resulted in him bleeding out of most major holes on his head. No minor holes. No, no. no. Just the major holes. The officer over there taking notes mentioned that he could be epileptic. Is there a way that we could talk to City Hall or local hospitals and pull his medical records? I'm sure we could, but I mean, come on, guys. Look at that. That's not epilepsy. You've seen epilepsy before. You guys are the detectives. Now, come on. You really need to dig deep on this. Why'd you call us over then? We weren't done investigating. (sighs) He rubs his face and eyeballs each of you. He's like, look, this is a good start, all right? But we need more. Now, the mayor wants me to run some interference before the press catches wind of Cypher's demise. The good news is that gives you more time to dig. Something smells fishy here, and I'll bet my pension it ain't fright or epilepsy what killed Mr. Dead Guy over there. Grill the butler some more. I don't trust him. Maybe he'll spill with a little elbow grease if you catch my drift. Keep sniffing around the library. There's bound to be something the rookies overlooked. Speaking of which, I'm posting this officer, Kurtzman, outside the door, and we're going to lock you in. Now, don't get all claustrophobic on me. It's just to keep out any looky-loos out and maintain the scene until the coroner gets back. You need anything? There's a landline over there, and you got your cell phones for internet. I don't need to remind you that there's a position open at the sergeant desk next month, so put on your deerskin caps or whatever it takes to get to the bottom of this. Good luck, little ducks. Quack, quack. He abruptly turns away, snaps his fingers at the patrol officer, and they both walk out of the room. The door closes and you hear a rumbling click as the tumblers engage. You are now locked in the library at Cypher Mansion. A grandfather clock standing regally to one side of the entry chimes once for 10.30 p.m. Gil Haddish, face white and contorted with confusion, looks at you expectantly. All right. Let's get to work. All right. Well, now that I know the coroner's already been here, going to put on a pair of gloves, grab Cypher by his shoulders behind him, and just yank. Uh, go ahead and give me an intelligence roll, Burton. Briggs. I needed an 80. I rolled a 74. That means I has the brain. You guys watch him as he walks over to the body, slapping on these gloves, and you realize quickly what he's going to be doing. And just as he grabs the scruff of the smoking jacket, starts to yank back, he's like... Maybe this would be better if we went more delicately. And he calls uh, you guys over to help. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. So we each grab a shoulder. (laughs) We pull as hard as we can. He lands in the fireplace. He just spontaneously combusted. I don't don't know. We got to be gentle about this. Let's shift him slowly so we can see everything as it goes. You guys shift. 
I'll look. <laughs> okay. I didn't bring my gloves. So you guys grab hold of uh, the deceased and sort of roll him back. Carefully lifting the body away from the desk reveals a smattering of paperwork underneath. There is a manila envelope, the flap raggedly slit, and a silver-bladed letter opener nearby. Close to this is some sort of shipping invoice. Near the left hand is a scrap of paper with three symbols on it. Near the right is a similar piece of parchment. In each stiffened hand of the deceased is a pencil, snapped cleanly in twain. A burned scrap of paper, now soaked with blood, is located directly beneath Cypher's head on the desktop. I'm going to quickly snap a picture of all the paperwork that's there. I'm going to take a look at the shipping invoice. I'm going to look at the paper that's uh, covered in blood that he was face down on. All right, I'll share the uh, burned scrap first. It looks like there was a handwritten message... But I'm going to need a spot hidden for you to make this out, detective. I needed a 60. I rolled a 33. You are able to just make out that something was written, but it kind of burned in half. Okay. So you only can see the top half of these letters. And I'll go ahead and uh, share that with you now. Drink ye oval tea. Oh. Uh, I'm seeing stroke of midnight at the very end. It looks like the something stroke of midnight. At the... At the first stroke of midnight. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's fun. Allowed at the first stroke of midnight. Ooh. Audrey, you were checking out the invoice. It has this address as the delivery. The sender was from a place called Gardner Bose, B-O-S-E Industries, located in Sydney, Australia. The invoice has just a single line. It says one crate. 15 pounds. Taking a look around the room, is there anything resembling a crate? You're going to have to probably spend some time looking around. This is a rather large room with lots of little nooks and crannies and, and furniture. Okay. You finished taking your photos, Mr. Briggs. And since I still have my gloves on, I'm going to pick up the papers with the strange symbols on them and take a closer look. This will be the left scrap of piece of paper. Someone tried to type a message in wingdings again. <laughs> we have like a stick figure with no legs for the A. The B kind of looks like an eight or it looks like um, if you like take the square brackets and flip them around so that they're facing outwards. They then have a line connecting them like an H and then there's a vertical line in between that with a circle on the bottom and then the P is just a quarter note. And why don't each of you give me a D100 roll please. Three. Um, I got a 56. 80. Briggs you, you look at this scrap and of course you're the one who retrieved it first. So the first one is the symbol for femininity pretty widely known. Obviously the musical note after P. You're not quite certain what that middle symbol is after the B, but it does ring a bell. It, it reminds me of this class you took back in high school, of all things. You had this teacher, the science teacher, and you, you didn't really learn that much because you were up to shenanigans, weren't you, in Houston? Yeah, it didn't allow me in the chemistry lab after my, my junior year. You see, I might have stockpiled a few things and uh, a may or may not have set off a stink bomb that caused the whole school to be evacuated. Just something about that symbol strikes you as familiar, but you you just weren't paying attention to class. All you know is that it had to do something with one of the sciences. I guess we'll take a look at the right scrap as well. Let's let Audrey describe this. We've got uh, another ABP. This time the A has a five-pointed star, black, 
B is a sun, and P is an omega symbol. This makes sense to either of you? It will eventually, I'm sure. But the fact that we can read Stroke of Midnight pretty clearly makes me want to keep that clock, like have one eye on that clock. Smart. Yeah, I've been uh, looking at this note. I think I've got half of it down. Yeah. It says aloud at the first stroke of midnight. The first word kind of looks like theme to me. Yeah, that's what I have as well. Let's see if we can knock this out together quickly since there's only a few words I can't make out because my vision is not good enough and I can't zoom in anymore. Do we think that uh, that's a slash? Uh, I don't think he's with the, the band anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Something slash something allowed at the first stroke of midnight. Could it not be, could it be these instead of theme? That could be, yeah. This is why I don't like cursive. That's why I chose that font. Good thing they don't teach it anymore. <laughs> at least it's not Comic Sans. Is that he? The third word, he? I was thinking he or B. He or B. I'm going to write those down. The second word, maybe like ring, because it's all, none of them have high letters, right? So that, that leaves out B and D and T because there's no crosses. It looks like there's an I, no L. Could it be these can be? Oh. All right. Why don't you guys lay out what you found? Let's see if we can figure that out. From the uh, invoice, I'm going to look up that company on my phone. The Gardner Bowes Industries. I'm going to set the two scraps of paper with the symbols on them off to the side, just safely out of the way of the blood. And I'm just going to quickly take a lap of the first floor of this library, just scanning the room. I'm going to examine the contents of the desk, opening each drawer. So we'll start with Audrey. Yeah, you Google the name of the shipping sender and come up empty. What about their address? If I put that into like a maps or like Google Earth or something, does that bring back anything? It basically pulls up a Sydney, Australia address. And when you zoom in using Google Maps. Hashtag sponsor us, Google Maps. Hashtag not sponsored. It is a hot dog stand. So it looks like our guy's a meat eater. Case closed. <laughs> we did it. Meat is murder. Processed meats did this. Let's go to Briggs, who was do doing a quick lap. Nearly every 10-foot section of the wall is dedicated to six shelves of reading material. That's more ink than at a Motley Crue concert. At first glance, none of the shelves or sections are labeled. Must use the Dewey Decimal System here. Well, I thought I was Dewey. You're Huey. And of course, there you know there is just a lot down here. You know, you got the fireplace, you've got paintings, sculptures, pieces of art. Has anyone here been up to the second floor of this place yet, or have we just all been? We've been screwing around down here. Thank you. I'm gonna head up the staircase to the second floor of the library. So, Brebin. Okay, so you open up the desk drawers and you see envelopes and writing paper and just a bunch of stuff. Uh, some personal papers, but none of which seem to be of much interest. All right, I'm gonna push stuff around. I'm still looking for the key. You do not see any key. What do I feel? Any keys? Nope. You don't smell them either. Sense them. Do I sense any keys? You taste keys. Ugh. My key Ugh. senses are tingling. Gil is watching you the entire time with that same judgmental. Oh, Gil, it's your chance. After catching his, uh, him staring at me, leering at me, undressing me with his eyes, I'm going to head back over and go, why don't you help me find the other key? Yes, sir. Uh, it's usually in his pants pocket. It's not. We've checked. I'm sorry, sir. Are you correcting me? I'm saying if that key is not here, you're number one suspect. For what? I step to the side and reveal the body. <gasps> oh dun, my dun, god, dun, what dun. happened? Where were you again tomorrow? Sir, I assure you I would do nothing ever to harm Mr. Cipher. 
You know, that sounds like something that a murderer would say. Shut up, you're on the second floor. Who was that? There's someone upstairs. I thought everyone was down here. And he comes over and starts patting Cypher's pockets. I'm going to and... watch and see how he interacts with the body, see if there's any emotion there at all, or if he's just matter of fact. Go ahead and give me a psychology roll. I needed a 50. I rolled a 7, which is an extreme success. You notice that as he is rifling through Cypher's pockets, uh, there does seem to be some deference uh he has a very stone mask face but you can tell just by the hesitancy that he's somehow affected by having to interact with his former employer who is now deader than a doornail and you get a very positive vibe from him and maybe that judgmental look in his eyes is just steely reserve you feel that he is a very strong-willed person and probably very loyal briggs it's exactly the same as the first floor. The upper level seems to have been crammed with even more books than downstairs. Framed photography hangs on the walls, but there is no seating up here. Being a fan of photography and taking pictures, I'm immediately drawn to what he has on the wall, and I want to go take a look at them. Audrey. Actually, you know what? I want to look at the door. I want to look at that lock, because I remember it had that pentagram on it, and that was kind of interesting. Uh, let's go back to Brebin. You were interacting with Gil a little bit. I'm going to ask him, did you find anything? Nothing, sir. It appears to have vanished. How do you think that could have happened? I cannot say. Uh, he had it when I uh, locked him in. So there's no other entrance to this room? No, sir. No windows? No, sir. Ventilation system? No, it's hermetically sealed. I cannot breathe even as we speak. We all pass out and die. I just want you to know I appreciate your assistance. And I yours, sir. If anything pops into your mind, or if you see that we're close to some finding something, say warmer, warmer, hot, 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 hot. Well, what, what have you found so far, sir, that you need assistance with? I'm happy to apply my intelligence to the problem. If you don't mind, we found this. It, it looks like it's a, a piece of paper that's been burned, but we have half of the sentence. I see. We think we have some of it figured out. Uh, well, that that is clearly not Mr. Cypher's handwriting. Really? Yes, sir. Is it yours? No, sir. Is it mine? I don't know, sir. <laughs> Everybody get down here. We're doing handwriting checks. What do you make of it, sir? I'm not sure yet. Can you help us to see if we can figure out what the sentence could be completed as? I don't know. What do you have so far? What do you think it is? Well, it's either these or theme for the first word. Let me take a look here. So why would you think it was theme? Does a sentence start with theme? That doesn't make any sense. I agree. So maybe these could be the word. Possibly, yes, sir. I could see that. Although, if that is cursive, why would there be two S's? Two S's. Yes, ordinarily in a cursive S, there is only one peak, and I see two. Ah. I am applying my intelligence. That would be an N, then. No, it doesn't have the loop of an N. I push back, sir. I'm trying to write it in cursive currently. <laughs> what else have you found? Uh, we believe the last half of the sentence is allowed at the first stroke of midnight. Well, that doesn't give us much time, does it? It doesn't. If something is to occur at the stroke of midnight... The first stroke. You've got a good start on that one. Uh, what other evidence have you uncovered? Uh, we, we've got a couple other things. Uh, the, the other detectives have them. I see, sir. I'm going to give this to you. See what you can do as you work on it and see what you can come up with. 
I'll endeavor to do my best, sir. But I doubt I will do any better than you. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure of that. Uh, after all, you are the detectives. I had an idea as I was reading it aloud. I'm going to look around and see if there's a clock, a grandfather clock or any... Yes, as of- I mentioned in the description, there is a grandfather <laughs> clock directly next to the door. Oh, without saying a word, I'm going to head over to the clock. Okay, and Audrey's over there as well, so we'll head over to Briggs real quick as he is scouring the upstairs. Why don't you give me a spot hidden, please? I needed a 60. I rolled a 92. That's me failing. So, yeah, you're looking around, and there is some things that you notice. For instance, it appears at first glance that the books up here appear to be all nonfiction. These are all reference materials of some sort or another. As best you can tell, they appear to be arranged by author or subject matter, sort of whatever suits the person who shelved them. A haphazard manner of uh, shelving these things. Of course, you are interested in photography, right? Uh, yeah. So you look among the many ph- photographs hanging from the walls. One attracts your attention. It's a poster-sized blow-up of young 11-year-old Lewis Edward Cipher sitting on a pony in a field holding a miniature riding crop. The look on his face is mischievous, as if he's up to something naughty. That's not a real pony. Oh, my God. Are there there any other photos near it, or is that the only one? This is the one that caught your eye. Okay. Something unusual about it. I'm going to... I actually do have 50 points into art slash craft photography. Go ahead and roll that puppy. I needed a 50, and I rolled a 9. That's an extreme success. I know me a picture when I see one, and this here's one of them pictures. So you peer closer, taking care to notice all aspects of the photograph, and its quality, and its age. And you see something unusual embroidered on the horse blanket. It appears to be an Omega symbol. Pick the photograph up off the wall and head back downstairs. It is rather large. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, like, as I said, a blow up, like a basically a poster size, like almost a subway poster size. Don't care. So. Taking it with me. Clonk, 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 clonk. Audrey. Yeah, you look at the door. It is incredibly well fortified. As I mentioned, it is bronze. And there is an identical keyhole on this side in the shape of a pentagram. And as you look through it, you can see out into the hallway beyond. And you can see, just a few feet away, Kurtzman standing at attention, sort of scribbling in her notebook. Is there anything in the room that is overtly like an instrument? Like, is there maybe like a piano there? Now that you're looking specifically for a musical instrument, you don't see anything that resembles a saxophone or whatever. Dueling banjos on the wall. Across the room, tucked into one corner, sort of disguised as a side table, is a media console. Ooh. It takes you a minute to recognize it because it's between plush easy chairs. Your grandparents used to have one just like it. It's a long walnut cabinet, which sort of hides all the hi-fi equipment ordinarily. And if your guess is correct and it's just like your grandparents, there's probably a vinyl record player inside there. Let's pop that baby open. All right, so you make your way back towards the record player. At the same time that Brevin is checking out the clock. And it is a very stately grandfather clock. It looks, let's say, Swiss made. It's gorgeously ornamented and sculpted. Probably costs more than uh, your car. My 87 Datsun? Gonna see if I can get it into my backpack. Yeah, slides easily in. Adding clock to inventory? (laughs) 
Just reach up and turn the hour hand back a bit, and we have more time. I'm going to look to my left and right and find a chair to stand on and look at the top of the clock. It appears to be quite dusty. There's a dead mouse on the top. His name was Mr. Jingles. Nobody's looking. I'm going to hop off the chair, scoot the chair back, and run my hand down each side on the back, just on the inside of the back, feeling for anything taped to the inside. Nope. Appears to be clean. All right, I'm going to move around to the front of the clock and open up the door where the pendulum swings. We'll say that the uh, clock face is actually locked. That's to prevent anybody from tampering with it. We need two keys, guys. It appears to be a dead end. I'm going to not look at the clock any longer. Closes his eyes whenever he's nearby. I'm not looking. You see uh, Briggs coming down the stairs, kind of banging it from side to side. I'm going to double time it over to the staircase. As he gets lower, I'm going to reach out and help steady it. So you you bring down the uh, photograph? Bourbon, you know, if you would kindly uh, grab the right scrap of paper that had those symbols on it for me. I grab that paper. Look very closely at the blanket on that horse and tell me what looks familiar. And you see the Omega symbol. It matches the one on the scrap. Not perfectly, but it's the same. They're both Omega symbols. I see the symbols. Is that what you're referring to? Or the blanket? No, the symbol. Uh, it was one of was one of our mystery symbols. Well, we found one. Let's go. Let's find the rest. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting thought, though, if maybe those symbols are designed to point to objects. Was there anything behind the painting or the picture when you pulled it down off the wall? I, I didn't bother. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, I'm going to take the picture that's facing us, flip it around or look behind it and see if there's anything on the back Give of it. Give me a spy hidden, please. I needed a 60. I rolled a one. That's a critical success. So you immediately see uh, written in the upper right corner, it's stamped with a year. It says uh, circa 1966. It actually says circa? It says circa. It, it, taken at the circus. The circa is 1966. And there is red ink. Over the 66 part, and it was uh, circled by hand. The number was circled, 66. 66. Okay. And Gil wanders over and says, uh, What have we found, sirs? What are you doing with the master's photo? What can you tell us about this this picture? Well, it was taken when he was 11 years old. Uh, I believe that was 1966. What's the significance of this? Well, I believe he was riding his pony. I mean, who owns a pony? But... <laughs> Actually, we had several back on the ranch, but... Why, why do you think there is some significance to this, sir? He has an Omega symbol stitched onto well, his yes, saddle blanket. Well, yes, I see blanket. that. Yes, very interesting. Take the piece of paper from Frank. If you look here on one of our mystery scraps of paper... Oh, I see, yes. Oh, that that is very unusual, yes. And, and this was the right scrap, sir? Yes. And you found this upstairs, I see. Okay. What do you make of the P? Pony. Yes, but on the other scrap as well, it's a P, right, correct, sir? Yes. So there's another pony around here somewhere. <laughs> so certainly then we have a P66. P66. There are books everywhere. What's to say it's not a page number? I think you're onto something, sir. We are in a library, after all. So maybe B is book? I suppose that could be correct. We need to find these other symbols. And what do you make of the A? I mean, books have authors. Maybe that's... I do believe <laughs> I'm in the presence of a detective. Three. Well, I did just print the uh, certificate out last night. Very wise, sir. Very wise. <laughs> so we have author, book, and page. Nice. And we have... 66 for the page number. How are you coming on the rest of it? Now that we know that those symbols might be attached to certain objects, we can split up and start looking for objects that have these symbols either in them or on them. How is Detective Davis coming along way over there by that record player? Meanwhile, back on the ranch. If I remember correctly, this has a kind of like a push 
to open so it doesn't have any like gaudy handles. It opens up readily and inside you can see that there is a tabletop player and there is already a vinyl record loaded. Oh yeah, what do they got? The label is actually just a simple music note. But I already knew it was music. I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to inspect. Okay, uh, go ahead and give me a spot hidden, please. Okay, okay. Uh, you needed a 60, you rolled an 83, which is a fail. And so you, you looked at the record, sort of looking at back and forth, and it, it appears to be a normal 78. The label in the middle is just a blank white label with that musical symbol on it. So I'm going to pick it up and kind of do the thing that record owners do when they're flipping the sides and just kind of hold it by the, the very like far ends and flip it around a couple times, blow the dust off of it, and then kind of hold like angle it so I can get some light from the desk. So you push that roll and you re-rolled and you needed a 60 and rolled a 25, which is a hard success. You're looking at it uh, at the angle of the light, which is much better from the desk. Uh, you just, just get that right shade of illumination on it. And you see that there is just the lightest scratch, which runs all the way to the edge of the album from the center. And it's the same on both sides. The scratch, it's almost as if someone or something had taken from the center and pulled along to the edge to create this symmetrical scratch all the way. It's very light. It doesn't actually impact the groove too much of the musical track. Is the library small enough that I could have heard them talk about like, oh, Paige? I would say no. Okay. So I'm going to be looking at it from the perspective of could this play? Does the record player have a needle that I can see? As a matter of fact, as you're inspecting the needle, you see that uh, this particular record player has something you've never seen before. It has the speed selector. So it plays 16s, 33, thirds, 45, 78, but then it has one labeled 99. Oh. And you know from your grandparents... That's not a thing. No, it's not. I'm going to put it back how I found it and then jack it to 99. Gross. And then I'm just going to drop the needle and not tell anybody what I'm doing. And the whole room is suddenly filled with the music of three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run. Tempted to leave it on, but I won't. Cool. So I'll put that back and turn it off. I'll turn back around and notice that these guys just have a giant painting. Yeah, and they seem to be... Staring at you? Yeah, they're all staring at you like, what the hell? Oh, I'm the weird one. Uh, yeah. Shh, shh, here she comes. So I'm gonna rejoin the boys. They seem to be onto something. What are you guys up to? First off, why did you play that music? Well, that's a long story. Uh, we've got time. The P on that scrap had a music note maybe had something with music on the record was a musical note the turntable had an extra setting for 99 which is not an rpm for vinyl records it was three blind mice i know that do you think we have another clue sirs i think we might well if we're to judge by the photograph the odd thing out would be the 99 wouldn't it that'd be true yes oh yes i think we're onto something now if we can only determine what the books and authors should be like i said it seems so far that the symbols on the papers have been directly tied to physical objects in this library. Yes, I see so. So I have a feeling that we each need to take a symbol and start scouting for it. I have an idea. The A on the left scrap. We were looking at books on astronomy, and I know that is also a symbol for Venus. Yes, uh, Venus. Uh, we, we have a portrait right over there. 
Oh, well, I'll look at the portrait. Oh, where is she going? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Why does she run like that with her hands all up in the air? That's very strange. I'm going to go follow her, stick my arms out behind my back and start spinning forward. Oh, no. And what of you, uh, Mr. Brebin? Which, uh, which uh, piece of the puzzle are you going to solve? That is a good question. Yes, uh, that's why I asked it. Hmm. Yes. How, and how about you, uh, Briggs? I've been eyeballing this left scrap for a while, and this, this symbol on the B here, my brain is telling me it has something to do with some sort of science subject. Science, you say? Hmm. I cannot for the life of me. See, I wasn't paying very much attention when I was in yes, high school yes, science class. Yes, yes, I heard all class. that. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't allowed in the chemistry lab because I might have mixed a few well, things that, together. Well, that is that, not chemistry. That's clearly uh, astronomical. I guess you didn't pay attention, did you? Uh, no, not really. So you see, I might have gotten kicked out of the chemistry lab in my junior year because I kind of hoarded some stuff and then I made some stuff and I might have made a stink bomb that caused the whole school to be evacuated. Well, that, that uh, I also heard, yes. Word on the street is, <laughs> stay away from Stinky Mickey. So you're saying this has something to do with some sort of a astro what or not? What well, yes, I believe it pertains to some sort of planetary entity, perhaps a planet. Oh, there's a thought. That's why I said it aloud, because thoughts are no good if you keep them in, sir. I think I'm going to look for the uh, the symbol, the star symbol. And wh- what do you make of that? I heard you mention astronomy. Yes, sir. And we keep most of our astronomy books upstairs. I think that's where I'll start. Wise choice. And what, what should you be looking for, exactly? Probably a star. I'm a star. You're all a pretty, pretty star, <laughs> yes. We have Audrey running willy-nilly towards the painting of Venus. Oh, I'm into it. Tucked into a gap between two bookcases is a patch of wall exposed just wide enough to accommodate a painting hung beneath a single soft lamp. And what a painting it is. You immediately recognize the surreal style, but it's the subject matter which captures your attention. The placard on the frame identifies this as Venus, Galatea of the Spheres, 1952. And if you remember that college art history, History class you took almost a decade ago. The model for this painting was Dolly's own wife, who has been represented as a disembodied revolution of mirrored planets. I'm going to take a wild uh, guess and see if that painting will come off of the wall. So you begin to test whether or not the frame can be lifted off the wall, and as you go to grab, you notice etched in the upper right of the glass frame, it is that same symbol. And you're easily able to take it down. Let's inspect this bad boy. Give me your spot, baby. I rolled a 33 and I needed a 60. So that's a success. So you see a series of numbers, 12 dash, 15 dash, 22 dash, 5 dash, 3 dash, 18 dash, 1 dash, 6 dash, 20. All right. Well, I'll see you guys in about an hour. So while you're figuring that out, we'll move along to Briggs. Well, considering that he, you know, said it might be an image of some sort of planet representing that, I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm going to go online and Google search for planetary symbols. And just as you pull out your phone, they say time flies when you're having fun. And whether that's true or not, time certainly doesn't seem to be playing fair in this locked room mystery. An ominous series of deep, bonging chimes resounds from the stately timekeeper by the door, as if in mockery. Just as the eleventh note echo dissipates into the myriad stacks of books, a rattling groan answers as the body of Lewis Cipher leans back and rises from its repose. I'm going to need everybody to roll sanity, please, as Lewis Cipher stands up. 
I needed a 50. I rolled a 32. That is a success. I needed a 50. I rolled an 83. That's a fail. So I'm going to need Frank and Audrey to both roll D8, please. I rolled a two. So you'll take two sanity damage, and Audrey, you will take five, which means, as we all know, that if you take five in any one roll, uh, you are going to roll me some sweet, sweet intelligence, please. I would love to. Okay, I needed a 55, and I got a 32, which is a success. So go ahead and roll me a d10, please. Right when I figured it out, too. <gasps> Shit. Basically, you're going to take your five sanity damage. Uh, let's start with Brevin first, because this will be an easy one. So what is your involuntary reaction as you see this corpse rise? I'm going to look around the room to see if anybody else has seen what I am seeing. Indeed. And you are you are headed upstairs. So we're going to say this happened when you were basically halfway up the stairs. Stumble off of a step, but catch myself. Before falling backwards. I like the idea of you like almost near the top and you see this thing and you lose your grip like you were still mid-step and your toe just slipped on the top step and you went down like three steps boom, 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 on your face. Cartoon back roll all the way down the steps. Just do, do, And then do, I do, land it. Perfect landing. And then grab the spindles between the staircase and are just like looking out at this body as it rises. And so uh, how about you? Audrey Davis, because you did uh, roll so poorly, uh, we'll, we'll say that uh, Audrey you know, drops the painting on the ground, and then the spheres that compose Venus's face begin to move of their own accord. And they're sort of swirling round and round, drawing you in deeper and deeper into the center of this gorgeous Dali painting that surreality is becoming reality. And you can do naught but stare into the center as this dance of planetary objects continues into the floor, almost as if it's sucking you into some sort of wormhole down and down. So we'll leave you there. Burton Briggs. What would you like to do, sir? As he stands up, stride on over. Hi, I'm Burton Briggs. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Well, this is rather unexpected. I'm going to kind of sprint over to where he stands up and just immediately, like, wham, slam him back into his chair and say, Sir, please remain seated until this ride has come to its complete and final stop. And I'm going to hold him there. I'm going to look at the butler and be like, what the fuck is this? All right, let's go ahead and do a dex call out. Everybody uh, do your thing. Oh, boy. I'm 80. 60. I have a 70. Brebin would have gone first, but because you uh, slipped and fell, then uh, we're going to keep you out this round. And uh, next up would be Davis, but she's cuckoo bananas. Uh, So, Briggs, uh, you race over to uh, Cypher's risen corpse and attempt to manhandle this guy. So go ahead and give me your standard everyday fight. Brawl. Oh, I needed a 50. I rolled a 79. That That is not a success. Nice. He's going to fight back. So he's going to go ahead and also fail horribly. <laughs> you need a 40. I rolled an 84. Now we have common ground and we can start building a relationship. Gil tried to uh, help you and this thing is kind of unwieldy. It's uh, a little bit sticky from the blood that is smearing the front of the corpse and it's moving a bit quicker than you would expect any corpse to do on its own accord 
particularly if it's risen. And it is going to take a swipe at you, Briggs. How would you like to react? You can dodge. You can fight back. Since I now notice that he is definitely hostile as he is trying to swing at me, I'm going to unholster my Desert Eagle, who I call Louise, and we are going to attempt to just kind of backstep to give me enough room up and take a shot right at him. Meanwhile, he'll take a swipe and needed a 30, rolled an 18. That's going to be five damage to you as you are thrown across the room and land next to an end table. The lamp sort of wobbles a bit and then lands and shatters on your head lacerating your scalp. Uh, that puts me at five out of ten of my hit points. Nice. That's about half, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. That is exactly half. Damage is equal to or more than half hit points. So that is going to be a major wound. Uh, you're immediately going to fall prone, as we just said. And uh, let's go ahead and give you a con roll, please. I needed a 50. I rolled a 54. And he falls unconscious, gun clattering to the floor. Night, night. Berebin, mm-hmm. who you now are up on the stairs. I'm pulling out my Desert Eagle Thelma, and I'm going to draw a beat. All right, go ahead and take off a shot. You can do one this round. I needed a 70. I rolled a 91. That's a fail. The bullet whizzes past, nearly hitting Gil. Twangs off of a telescope. Oh. Oh. You mistook for a piece of art earlier, but it doesn't even move. It seems to be like welded in place. Cypher turns towards you and starts lumbering your way. Okay. So Gil is going to rush up and try to tackle Lewis. Wow. Did not see that one coming. Rolled a hard, needed a 40, rolled a 12. So you see Gil tackle Cypher and it hits an end table and slices off his left ear. Oh, yikes. Cypher is going to try to bite Gil and fails. Gil's going to fight back and also fails. So that was... uh, they're just struggling on the ground right now. So, Brevin? All right, then I'm going to draw up again, this time taking my time, taking a breath, realizing the situation. I needed a 70. I rolled an 82. So you miss again. Yeah, I'm still shaken up. I mean, there's a dead man walking around attacking people. It's a dead man's party. Oh. Gil is going to attempt to fight off again and just cannot do anything. But this time, Cypher is going to fight back. And Cypher bites into Gil on his neck. Ah. It's a hell of a hickey. And he rolled a con, so he stays conscious. Gil is uh, still up and at him. It is now Cypher's turn. That was just the fight back portion of the show. Cypher is going to drag himself on top of Gil and put his mouth over Gil's. But thankfully, Gil was able to stave him off. And and for some reason, I rolled accounting. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't add up here. This doesn't add up. (laughs) But Gil is so hurt he can't fight back. So we're we're actually back at the top of the hour. So Brebin. I'm going to draw up again. This time I'm really calm. Did some meditation in between rounds. Ate some gummies. I needed a 70. I rolled a 41. That's a success with 13 damage. Why don't you describe how you... As he's on top of Gil trying to put his mouth on, Gil pushes him away so he can't quite do it, which raises him up just enough for me to get a bead right on the back of his head, and it takes the top part of his scalp off. And the top of his skull just goes flying, spattering on the back of his chair. It slides down the back of the leather chair. And then you see an eruption of three-inch-long black slugs from his brain pan. They shoot outward and splat in all directions. A few of them come out of the mouth, narrowly missing Gil. And then it sort of slides, leaving this slimy, clear residue on Gil's face. Okay. And then they all just scatter to the edges of the room. 
That's why you don't eat hot dogs. As this happens, you see Audrey sort of waver where she's standing looking at the ground at the painting. And then she falls face first onto the painting, cracking the glass with her face. Well, guess it's just me. You get the promotion. Congratulations! Quickly reload my weapon. And as you do so, Gil is pushing the corpse off of himself and brushing himself off and wiping the residue off. And then he immediately goes towards Audrey. I'm going to yell out as I'm traversing the stairs down. Gil, are you okay? I'm all right, sir. Uh, A little shaken up, but uh, I think uh, Miss Davis is worse off. Can you get her upstairs? I will certainly attempt to do so, sir. Whatever came out of him scattered across the room. Did you see that? Obviously, it landed on your face. You saw it. It is pretty gross, yes. It's kind of bogue. We need to have the higher ground, Anakin. I, I never saw that one, but okay. So I'm going to run over to Briggs. Who is uh, bleeding pretty well from a gash in his skull. Just assess it quickly. Apply pressure on his... Um, cranium you got first aid or anything like that yep i'm gonna try first aid as quickly as i can because we need to get off of this main level i need a 50 i rolled an 81 so i failed i'm fumbling around trying to stop the bleeding and i just move my lift my hands i take a deep breath and i spend the luck 31 luck and i'm going to go back in stem the bleeding and try to get him up off the ground for a moment there you realize like a piece of the scalp is pulled back. When you move it a little bit, it just kind of spurts. You put one finger on it, it spurts from another place. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I start chewing some gum. Sticking in there. <laughs> As you're fumbling around, then you realize that there is a little shard of glass that's causing most of the damage. It's wedged into the meat at the base of his neck. So Briggs, you you do come too. Hey, no, let, let me at him. Let me at him. Brebin is uh, hunched over you. His hands are bloody. His brow is furrowed and sweaty. I lean in. Briggs, you're able to uh, get up. You will be very woozy. You will basically be taking a penalty dice to any skill rolls that require strength or constitution or dexterity. Lovely. Gil attends to Audrey, and Audrey, that smack against the glass actually sort of jolted you out of your reverie. You now have this cut on the bridge of your nose, which is bleeding on either side. Are you all right, madam? I think I might have figured it out. What happened? Yes, sometimes that's all it takes is a trauma. (laughs) Thanks for the anecdote, Gil. And then I'm going to notice that he's covered in blood. What happened to you? You'd rather not know, ma'am. I kind of do. It was a blessing that you you were out like a light. Yeah, I'm feeling the blessing right now, and I'm going to kind of wipe the the blood off of me. The other gentlemen are hurrying upstairs because there might be danger down here. Oh, what kind of danger? Does it have to do with all this blood on you? Some sort of alien interloper. Okay. Should I go back to sleep? I managed to rescue the scraps of paper. Well, thank you, Gil. That's very sweet of you. Shall we join the other gentlemen? I would love to, Gil. Thank you. I'll help you up the stairs. You lift me up where we And so uh, the four of you are now upstairs, and Gil uh, hands you the scraps. Oh, anybody get the license plate on that freight train that hit me? I pushed the glass in a little further. There we go. It's like an on-off button. So did anybody get the license plate of that freight train that hit me? Push it in further. So did anybody <laughs> get the license plate on that freight train that hit me? What's our next move, says? Have you ever seen anything like that before? Gil. No, that was quite a shock. What was Cypher working on last that you know of? Well, I I believe he was looking at the contents of a crate he received. I don't know what was in it, but he seemed very interested. What do you know about that shipment? Because I had looked into the shipper 
and they don't exist. Oh, I don't know. Uh, all I can say is Mr. Cipher, called Rest His Soul, seemed to be quite surprised at its arrival this afternoon. But he was very curious. So it arrived today. Yes, sir. Ma'am. Davis, do you, do you find anything on that painting you were so excitedly charging for? Uh, yes, I believe we have. I, I figured out the numbers. The numbers were actually letters. And that's not because I just took a face plant into a painting. The letters spell Lovecraft? I don't... Is that an author that you guys are aware of? Uh, yeah, Lovecraft uh, wrote some of them scary books. Figures. That gives us what? The author for... The Left... I believe. So we have our left script author, and we have our page number with the 99 on the record, and then we have our page number 66 for the scrap on the right. If you can figure out what that astro- astronomical symbol means, we might have a full book. Gil here mentioned that it might be uh, representing a planet, so I was just about to look up on the internet if there were any kind of guides to like planetary symbols or if someone happened to catalog these somewhere. Good idea. Where'd my gun go? I- and it's all down there. The, your phone, your gun, it's all downstairs. Do I have my phone on me? Uh, sure. Why not? I'm going to finish that search that Briggs was doing. Yeah, so you uh, pull up your phone, and you're just about ready to... like. Do some Googling search, and you see you have no signal at all anymore. And why don't each of you give me a listen roll, please? I needed a 45. I rolled a 28. That's a success. So almost simultaneously, uh, Brebin and Briggs here above, just outside the crystal dome, there's this weird pattering, fluttering sound. Large bird on the roof? Why don't each of you give me a spot hidden, please? Bunch of small birds on the roof? I needed a 60. I rolled a 28. That is a hard success. Nice. We'll go with that. Briggs, you look up and immediately see there are these large insects, a bit bigger than locusts, sort of swarming and fluttering and clattering on the dome on the outside. Well, we might need to call us an exterminator, because I do believe that there are some rather large bugs dancing on your roof, Gil. Oh, my lord. Yes, you're right, sir. I get a distinct impression that we have about 45 minutes to solve this mystery. (laughs) You know what? Cover me, and I'm going to, quickly as I can on my woozy feet, try and get down the staircase to retrieve my phone and my gun. I'm going to follow him and go get that astronomy book that was on the desk. I'm going to cover them with my gun. You recover your stuff, uh... Briggs, Davis, uh, you are now grabbing the astronomy book that is on the desk. While I'm down there, can I take a look at that telescope? Yes, it it does now strike you as odd that uh, you hadn't noticed it before. Partially hidden behind a column is an expensive-looking telescope that you mistook for art sculpture at first. The verdigris-speckled bronze housing makes it seem like it belongs on a maritime vessel. Crab-like spindly legs are bolted to the floor, and the scope has been welded in place at a very specific angle pointed up at the glass dome in the ceiling of the library. I'm going to I'm gonna take a peek. Okay, as you go to take a peek, you notice etched onto the floor between the spindly legs is that strange symbol. Ooh. Do you have astronomy by any chance? I do not. A science is one. One? Then roll me a sweet D-100. <laughs> <laughs> nope, didn't roll a one. I got a 48. Spend the life. You're not exactly sure what that symbol means exactly, but you said you're going to take a peek through the telescope, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, give me a spot hidden, please. I rolled a 56 and I needed a 60, so that's a success. So you're leaning in towards the eyepiece and you're like, okay, I wonder what the heck is this. Then you notice that there appears to be something inked around the eyepiece. 
jokesters. I have a mark on my face now. Thank you. You caught yourself just before you were about ready to put your eyeball on it. Can I get my uh, my paper? I'm going to get my notepad and just press that onto the ink. And uh, you pull it back and you see that there are some letters that are written in a circle, essentially, but you can quite clearly tell where the first uh, letter is. And this is uh, the letters T D Q O U K. Tequak. Ah, yes. Lovecraft's very first book, Tequak. I'm still covering them. Make sure there's nothing attacking them at all. What do you think, sir? I don't see anything. I don't either, but those things killed your, your boss. Yes, true. Do you think they'll come back? And he touches his cheek as if to wipe something away. Which cheek? I don't know, but I don't want to take any chances. A wise choice, sir. Yes, it is. How are you doing down there, Mr. Briggs? Well, I don't see any strange alien interlopers. Um... Should we get on with the puzzle then? Brevin, you ever find any of that, uh, that star you were looking for? Well, I was about to look and then all hell broke loose. Did you say star, sir? No, I said star, sir. Did you say star search? Star search. <laughs> look for a microphone. <laughs> yes, well, uh, as I said, uh, the upstairs uh, has much in the way of nonfiction, including some astronomy. As a matter of fact, I believe there is a chart over here somewhere on the wall. Walk around and look for a chart, an astronomy chart. It's literally right behind you. It's like tilted toward you slightly. I turn around and boom, it hits me in the face. So I'm going to look for a star on the astronomy chart. As he's walking away, be like, uh, Gil, remind me one more time. What was the last symbol on that scrap of paper? Oh, I have it right here. So it's a, uh, it looks like a, yes, yeah, a sun, like a sun, a sun sun. Not, not like one you have that your wife has. It's it's more like the, yes, uh, the solar system. You know, much like that model over there. there we have a 3D model uh, just right over there, sir. Upstairs, to the left, down the hall. Uh, thanks, Gil. That's uh, very helpful. Yes, just trying to move things along, A little sir. too helpful. <laughs> no. I'm going to head up the stairs and beeline towards that model oh, of the Lord, solar bees, system. Oh, good Lord, bees, not the bees. <laughs> Brevin. Yes. Proudly displayed on an upstairs wall is a massive star chart. Dated 1991, rendering all of the constellations in our galaxy as well as other celestial entities such as moons, asteroids, nebulae, clusters of gas and dust, comets, neutron stars, and black holes. The enormity and majesty of this expanse is mesmerizing. And you immediately detect, set into the frame, right below the chart, is a gold star. The teacher finally loves me. Yes, you are a gold star, sir. Well done. You spotted the star. Now what? Well, since everybody else has taken the photos off of the walls and flipped them around, I will follow suit. Please give me a spot hidden. I will spend that luck. I needed a 60. I rolled a 61. Just as you're about ready to take it down, really assuming that there probably is something written on the back. You see that in red ink behind the glass frame? Someone has written a series of numbers right next to an asteroid that is labeled Scott Cross Field. All one word. And the numbers are 19-5-18-22-9-19-19. Briggs making a beeline like a good little bee, a little worker bee, towards the solar system model. So upstairs on a marble pillar base is a copper sculpture of our solar system. 
The metal worker who created this work of art used a series of clockwork gears in a central column, atop which a golden sphere lit from within by an electric plug represents the sun. Supported by delicate wires are the major planets, all at varying positions of rotation around that heavenly sphere. And you can quite clearly see etched onto the sun is the symbol of the sun, as one might expect. (laughs) Ah. And I'm going to closely inspect that sun, and hopefully I don't, you know, go blind. I needed a 60, I rolled a 45. That is a success. You know, after a moment, you're like, well, the sun doesn't really have anything more on it, but some of the planets do. Uh, You find a series of letters that are also etched on some of the planets. So the first four planets from the sun, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, each have some letters, but you're unable to tell what they are until you rotate them so they're all in a single row. And then the shadow from the sun model makes them quite apparent. C-O-T-S are the four letters. I need to take a nap. Oh, I see, Miss Davis. Uh, have you found anything of interest? Did you say that these were alphabetized? Yes, down here is fiction, and these are alphabetized by author. Are you looking for a specific book? Yeah, I'm looking for a book by Lovecraft that starts with either T or D. Oh, interesting, interesting, yes. This is the Lovecraft section here. You can see we have almost all first editions. That's impressive for someone who would care. (laughs) Do you know which one you're looking for? The one that starts with T or D. He can't have written that many things. Of course, there are many volumes and editions from which stories are extracted and then put at the front and renamed. So basically, any story by Lovecraft could be a book on its own. What do you think those letters might be? How specific do you want me to be with this? <laughs> Very specific. We're running out of time. I am going to look at The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Well, yes, we have that edition right here. It's a 1955, I believe. <gasps> that I'm sure it is. Here you go. And he hands it to you. I'm going to flip that to page 99. And you excitedly turn to page 99 to find a frayed bookmark wedged tightly in toward the spine, pressed flat by the weight of years. Carefully, you extract it, noting the incantation that has been printed on one side in florid typeset. And Gil calls up to Brebin and Briggs. Sirs, are you having any luck up there? I I have some letters on this model of the solar system. It's uh, C-O-T-S. I'm going to take a guess that that's the initials of the book, but it's up to Brebin to give us the author. Could it be uh, Scott Crossfield? No, sir. That That is the name of the asteroid. Well, I'm still working on it then. Has anybody else found a series of numbers? I did. Can you help me decipher this? Yeah, let me, uh, let me get a look at those numbers. When I was looking at the Venus painting, the numbers corresponded to letters. So if this is the same here, we have three 19s, which is S. It looks like S-E-R-V-I-S-S. So they might be on the space station. That does ring a bell. I believe there is a... He wrote a few books. Non-fiction, I'm assuming. Yes, primarily. He did do some science fiction as well, but uh, those were mostly right. stories, of course. Do you happen to know where the S's would be up here on the second floor? I mean... Yes, I, I believe the astronomy section is near the star chart, and he should be located there. All right. I'm going to head over to that star chart and start scanning the bookshelves for service. All right, yep. And you find a section of books uh, with his works in it. And I'm going to look for one that has the initial C-O-T-S. You easily find, because he didn't write that many books, one called Curiosities of the Sky, published in 1909. 
Jackpot, boys, I found our book. And I'm going to flip to page 66. And with trepidation, you open to page 66 and discover a worn bookmark fitted neatly into the tome, flattened by time and neglect. You pull it out, noting the beautiful script printed inside the narrow margins of the material. Have you found anything up there, sis? Yeah, there's a, a bookmark in this book that has some sort of something or another printed on it. Shall we reconvene down here and figure it out? I'm going to take the book with me just in case. And I'm going to head back down. So you guys all reconvene at the desk? Yep, that works. Sure. I found this in the the service book, and I'm going to show them the, the bookmark with the incantation on it. I found a very similar one in the Lovecraft book, and I hold that out as well. They're both a little bit different. Maybe we have to go back to that, that burnt one. Yeah, where is that? Anyway, Gil, do you still have it? I believe so. Let me see. Uh, oh, I think I dropped it over here, and he walks over towards the uh, door. And that's when you realize it's quiet. Too quiet. You can hear the big hand on the grandfather clock move to 11.59 p.m. Click. As if on cue, the door to the library suddenly swings wide open, and you see Lieutenant Atkins framed in the doorway. Wide eyes starting from his head as if pressed out from within. His white hair is mussed like an unruly ferret atop his head. Wendy, he shrieks. I'm home. Then he pulls the trigger on his shotgun, the blast hitting Gil Haddish squarely in the chest. Atkins laughs in a high tittering giggle before pumping another round into the chamber and pointing it in your direction. Okay, which one of you little ducks is going to quack that incantation for Mr. Tittles? Darkwing doesn't like to wait. Well, well, well. (laughs) I'm going to try and whisper to the other guys, because I was thinking back to that burned note. I think that note, the first line was, there can only be one. There can be only one. Then slash, I'll speak aloud at the first stroke of midnight. Okay. And then you hear the first stroke of midnight. I'm going to grab the bookmark that I had previously and start reading it aloud. Be gone, gone, Mr. Tittles. Tittles. Deliver Deliver us us to the the order order of the cross, cross, lest lest ye never never dwell dwell amongst amongst the plains. Aye, aye, leave leave your your flock flock alone, alone. arrive unto unto the stars. The words hang in the air for a moment. Then the crystal dome above you shatters in a million pieces, raining down into the library. The floor begins pulsing with a white light, revealing a series of ley lines beneath the foundation. The glow intensifies, crumbling the foundation and causing the room to shake violently, books falling from shelves all around you. Above, you can see an approaching object hurtling toward Earth. A meteorite? No, you sense an evil alien intelligence projected from it in your direction. As if in response, pure electric energy erupts from the convergence of ancient ley lines, spewing raw power up and up and up, a thin blade in the sky, rising up to meet this intruder, this interloper, this... An explosion occurs miles above the planet as the two forces collide. An ungodly scream echoes in the midnight sky like a warning siren, spiraling past the point of comprehension until your ears start to leak blood. As you hold your head to keep your brains from spilling out, your mind warps with fear and the unwelcome knowledge that some star-spawned entity has just been turned back by the simplest of incantation spells. You stagger out of the ruined library, past Atkins' shattered corpse, away from Cypher Mansion, knowing full well the forces of darkness will not let tonight's events pass without repercussions. 
They will remain hidden in the shadows, biding time until your guard is down. Because if nothing else, evil is very, very patient. So why don't you guys tell me a little bit about what happens to your characters in the following days. Frank is not going to handle this well. He's going to kind of fall off the map and go his own separate way trying to figure out what has taken place and what he's witnessed. And it's going to open an entire new world for his mind that he has to discover. Briggs is going to take some time off from his detective job, you know, drinking fairly heavily just to try and wipe what he saw from his mind. And as he hits rock bottom, you know, drunk out of his mind, he realizes that this isn't going to get him anywhere. And while there might be things out there that he can't understand, I guess that just means that he's going to have to, you know, take hold of what he can and control where he can. And so he is going to decide to sober up quit his job at the police precinct and he is going to go and take his love of photography and he is going to open up his own little photography studio and just kind of live his life the best that he can. I think Audrey is going to go back to work immediately thinking that she can just press on and like it's it's not that big a deal and try to delude herself about it but she's gonna kind of snap and have like kind of a panic attack at work. Every time she passes a painting she kind of like takes a step back She ends up taking an extended leave of absence from the department and finds herself attending a lot of improv classes. And she is the most intense zip-zap-zop player. The mean streets of Detroit go on and on. Rain-slicked pavements stretching out to the midnight horizon. Sometimes you're just mean enough to survive those streets. And sometimes they lead you straight to the gates of hell. You're either the driver or the passenger. What's it gonna be, little duck? Get behind the wheel, or call shotgun? Take your time. The streets will still be there, whether you're ready or not. And that's gonna be it for this very special one-shot presented by the Lovecraft Tapes. Thank you for listening and watching, hopefully. Please visit GehennaGaming.com VHC and smash that donate button please, to help us fight please. COVID-19. Meanwhile, you can find us at LovecraftTapes.com with links to all our hashtag recommendos and social media channels, including Reddit, YouTube, and our Discord server, where you can chat with us in real time. You can find me on Twitter at Lovecraft Tapes. And if anybody wants to book an appointment at Burton Briggs's Photographic Emporium, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at The Real Weird Kid. And if you guys can help me find those damn black slugs, you can reach me at Brian Podcast on Twitter. And if anybody would like to learn Zip Zap Zop or Snaps or any other improv games that I actually happen to know, uh, you can find me on Twitter at I Swing a Bit More. Until next time, roll four. Sanity. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2020. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes Podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.com.